This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. We're more than 20 years into the Fast and Furious franchise, and the saga keeps roaring on with the latest installment. The movie Fast 10 is predictably over-the-top and silly. It has plenty of absurd action sequences and logic-defying stunts that have become its trademark. But after all this time, does the magic of fast cars, backyard BBQs, and family persist? I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about Fast 10 on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is Waylon Wong. She's co-host of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator from Planet Money. Hey, Waylon. Hello. Hey, hey. Also with us is Ronald Young Jr. He is the host of the film and television review podcast, Leaving the Theater. Welcome back, Ronald. It's all about family, Aisha. But you got to say family. Family. That's the only way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) And rounding out our panel is Vulture TV critic Roxana Haddadi. Welcome back to you too, Roxana. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I can already tell this is going to be fun. (laughs) So... In Fast 10, Vin Diesel plays Dom Toretto, a street racer turned heist leader working with a government group known as The Agency. Dom is faced with a new adversary played by a very flamboyant Jason Momoa who's looking to settle an old score. His name is Dante Reyes, and he's the sadistic son of a drug lord who was robbed and killed by Dom and his team in a previous movie. Now, years later, Dante's emerged to punish Dom and everyone he loves, which is, of course, a huge deal because, as you might know, as we've already mentioned, the Fast franchise is all about family. (laughs) Now, Michelle Rodriguez plays Dom's wife and fellow street racer Letty. Leo Abello Perry plays their son, B, And also under threat are longtime allies played by Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, Sung Kang, and Natalie Emmanuel. The overstuffed ensemble, there are so many people in this movie, also includes Charlize Theron, John Cena, Jason Statham, and Brie Larson. Fast 10 was directed by Louis Lettier. He replaced Justin Lin, who clashed with Vin Diesel over the script. But Lin is credited as a screenwriter alongside Dan Mazzo. And this movie is part one of two, maybe. (laughs) And it ends on a cliffhanger. Fast 10 is in theaters now. So, Waylon... I'm going to go to you first. What are your thoughts on Fast 10? Well, first of all, I have to say I have such tremendous affection for this franchise. I don't know if you can see it, but I'm wearing my Toretto's Marketing Cafe muscle tee today in honor of this recording. So (laughs) I love this franchise. I love its combination of extreme action with extreme sentimentality and earnestness. So I do grade it on a bit of a curve. I forgive a lot of things in these movies that I do not forgive in other movies. That said, like, for me, Jason Momoa really makes the movie for me. He has all these great outfits and scrunchies, and he's got this kind of Jack Sparrow meets the Joker thing going on, which I found very appealing and interesting. And I think he is the reason to see this movie, because even me grading on this very affectionate curve for the fast movies, I'm sorry, like, the dialogue and the plotting are just getting so sloppy that it's like starting to be hard for me to really buy into it like I used to. You know, I feel Mm. myself working a little bit to get over some of those things. Like I, I feel like in this movie, maybe more so than the other ones, the dialogue 
truly feels like it was written by an algorithm that was fed <laughs> all of the previous movies plus chicken soup for the soul. And there's also way too many characters. Like when John Cena shows up, I literally forgot he was a part of this franchise and that he was Dom's brother. And I just thought, gosh, if I cannot keep up with the amount of people they have introduced to me in La Familia over the years, like it's just too many, too many people. So I did enjoy the movie, but mostly because of Jason Momoa and mostly because of this sentimentality I feel towards the franchise. Mm-hmm. It is starting to show, it seems in a way that worries me a little bit. Yeah, I have to agree with you on the too many characters thing. The poster on the screen that I saw it on had like at least nine different characters on it. It looked like the Avengers. Yeah, it's kind of like the Avengers, except like there are way more than nine pretty big (laughs) names in this movie. So it is a little hard to keep track of them. But yes, thank you, Waylon. Roxana, how do you feel about this family? I also come to this film from a place of deep love. I mean, the first Fast and the Furious is just Point Break with cars. I love Point Break. I love that they so blatantly copy that film. (laughs) And so sort of the brazenness of that and the initial griminess of these films have sort of lodged them into my heart for a very long time. Fast 8 is probably when they began going a little bit downhill for me. Hobbs and Shaw is also fairly rough. There became this sort of, let's get as many cameos as possible. Like Ryan Reynolds was in one of these. Kevin Hart was in one of these. (laughs) They sort of gotten to this point where, unfortunately, they resemble all blockbusters and that there's like this duality of super militarization within the agency and this increased PG domesticity. Like, we have to take care of our children and we're married and blah. So there's a lot that going into this film I'm sort of done with. But I really enjoyed that this movie makes fun of itself and makes fun of all those things through the Jason Momoa character. He's very arch, sort Mm. of like commenting on the weirdness and goofiness of all of this. I don't know what this movie would be without Momoa. He feels like the best villain they've had in a long time because I am strongly anti-Cypher and anti-Charlize in these films. So I think he's having fun and the fact that he is having fun allows us to have fun. We're allowed to be like, yeah, it's really goofy that Vin Diesel keeps saying family. And it's very (laughs) silly that these characters are in their, like, I don't know, late 40s, early 50s, still doing these things. Why is Rita Moreno here? I I have a lot of questions. (laughs) But at the end of the day, I was still mostly amused But uh, I I do miss what these films used to be. I miss that Mm. there were like street races and that sort of intimacy of those early films. So Mm. this was fine. It didn't blow my mind. But, you know, like if I still had cable and it came on TNT, I would watch it. I mean, that's the barometer (laughs) for these films. Would I watch them on TNT? And the answer is pretty much always yes. (laughs) All right. Ronald Young Jr. Now, you texted me right after you saw this movie, and your actual words, I will censor them slightly, but they were, what in the actual... <clears throat> so, what did you mean by that, Ronald? <laughs> Explain. All right, just like everyone else, I also love this franchise. I said this right around Fast Five or 
Fast and Furious 6. As long as they keep making them, I'll keep watching them. I never said that I would like them as they continued because <laughs> I think that the peak of this franchise was 4, 5, and 6. Mm -hmm. But the specific issues with this movie for me were two main ones. And I think we've kind of touched on it, but I want to unpack them a little more, which is that there's too many stars. There's mm -hmm. too many cameos to the point that we know that Paul Walker is dead. But in the movie, the way the movie behaves, Brian should pop up at any moment to save the day. But we all yeah. know that he can't. So instead, it's Brie Larson. Instead, it's John Cena. You know, it's other people that are popping in to save the day. It felt like there was a scheduling problem because the movie is fractured into like three or four different actual movies. There's a zany heist film. There's a buddy movie with a child. There's a techno sci-fi thriller. All three of these varying degrees of seriousness in all of them. And I felt completely lost. As a matter of fact, I did laugh at Jason Momoa a lot. But whenever he showed up, I forgot that he's the main villain. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the bad guy. He's the guy that, that we're supposed to be going after. I get that. The other big problem is this, is that they've established so hard that the stakes aren't real. Everyone is invincible, 100% invincible. Mm -hmm. So if no death actually matters, then all of the stunts and everything we watch, it's just washing over you over and over again. You're like, no one's in danger. Nothing's ever going to happen. You can fill a car with Nas and fire, and it will not explode. <laughs> we know that. That is a thing that will not happen. It happens in this movie, and it blew my mind. So I did not like it, to be clear. I'm very curious to see what they do with the next two movies in this franchise, and I will watch them out of curiosity. But to say that these are good, they are not good anymore. They're just yeah. fun, but they are not good anymore. I should reiterate the allegedly next two movies. Vin Diesel has suggested that there may be a third <laughs> <laughs> part of this Fast 10 trilogy, I guess, or would-be trilogy. Yeah. Anyway, so I was a latecomer to this franchise, and I love it now. And I think that what I noticed with this is that it feels like there are too many stars. There's not enough of the original, like what made us love the original, which is the street racing. And yeah, it's like, you know, what are the stakes? I think for me, it peaked and I don't mean peaked as in quality, but peaked as in like what could blow your mind as a viewer in the last movie, which is when they sent Luda <laughs> and Tyrese to space. Correct. It has become so self-aware and people have been saying, what are you going to do next? You're going to go to space. And then they go to space. Once you go to space, what else is there to do? And what I noticed with this film is that we're seeing a lot of the same stunts and action sequences that we've seen in previous movies. At one point, Dom drops his car out of a plane mm -hmm. and like crushes some cars. And I'm like, this happened in Fast 7, except yes. it was five times as big because there were like all of the gang were mm -hmm. parachuting down from a much higher height. <laughs> and then there's a moment where little B, his son, like jumps from one car to the next. And I was like, this is what happens with Letty and Dom yes. in, in a previous movie. In Fast 6, yeah. And what I remember more than anything about these movies are those action sequences. I remember the cars jumping from one giant luxury building to the next in seven. I remember all those sequences and I'm just like, okay, what do we do next? Like nothing here feels new. That being said, I still enjoyed it, you know, as much as an ex person. I think that there are very funny moments. Another new character that they've added is Ames, who is now the head of the agency in 
place of Mr. Nobody. His introduction is him explaining to Brie Larson's character right. about like why why the entire crew is just like a menace to society. And he, he talks about like they're street racers turned hijackers and they're, they're defying the laws of God and gravity. And it's just like, this is what I like about it. This is what I like about the self-awareness and how silly it seems to be and, and embrace that silliness. I want to come back to the Jason Momoa character because I thought he was very good in this role. I thought he was very entertaining. But I also just kind of felt like, okay, why is he leaning so hard into this like flamboyant kind of queer coded villain thing? And I was wondering, like, was this his idea? Was he ad libbing a lot? Like this felt like an ad libby kind of performance. And he is dressed like at one point he's wearing a pink robe and he's got painted nails. He does like this like kind of fossy rolling his spirit fingers moment. As much as I enjoyed him, I also just felt like it kind of fell back on a lot of these tropes and stereotypes about villains that just felt kind of hackneyed to me and took away from the performance. But I'm wondering if that's just me or if you all kind of felt that way or if it like crossed your mind at all. Because I know you you loved the character, but I also just felt like this also feels like a retread of so many other characters we've seen. The trope that plays out with Jason Momoa's character that bothered me the most, actually, is how he is supposed to be really Joker-like and that he has plans within plans within plans to mm-hmm. a completely preposterous degree where it's like, okay, so you telegraphed like every single move of every action sequence so that whatever happened... Even when it looked like you were down for the count, you would be standing there with like a big button to press that would like detonate something <laughs> right in buttons. Dom's path and be like, I already thought of that. Or like, I meant for you to find this. And I'm like, how many times are we going to go to this well? <laughs> a lot. I mean, but that's the Fast and the Furious way, right? Especially as they started retconning everything. Yeah. That gave yes. them the freedom to do this sort of stuff. And I think that's the bigger issue for me is that I do respect that Momoa's character messes with the Fast Five narrative because Fast Five is like the movie. It is the perfect Fast and the Furious film. It has the best twists and turns, literally, figuratively, narratively. So Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of respect I have for them going back and messing with that film in their retconning way. But I agree with you, Asia, that like there is the hint in Momoa's character that the worst people watching this film will laugh at it for this sort of like homophobic reason because he is so over the top, because he could be coded as flirtatious, because there's this very unsettling scene where he is applying nail polish to a couple of characters. And I won't go further, but that was like shockingly gruesome. I sort of took it as this enemy is the opposite of everything Cypher was. And Cypher was very cold, very held within herself, very unwilling to go outside of this like icy demeanor and is oppositional to Dom, who at this point, Vin Diesel just plays (laughs) like, like a like a boulder with like growling emotion (laughs) like Tom is just like mission focused and you know doesn't alter his emotionality (laughs) so I I saw Momoa as working against both of those things in sort of an interesting challenging to toxic masculinity way but I think that it's so broad that I do think there are moments here where I was like what do you think we're laughing at exactly about Mm -hmm. this character Mm. And that feels a little bit 
imprecise. A lot of this film felt imprecise in a way that the other movies have been, you know, like very specific in what they're attempting to do in their stunts, in their definition of the family. Between this and Fast 8, I think there are a lot of similar flaws between those films. For me, watching Jason Momoa, I think one thing that bothered me was that it felt like they were playing the queer parts of his character for laughs. I had a moment where I felt like I was laughing and the people around me were laughing. And for a moment, as I'm laughing, there were question marks in there. I was like, ha, ha, ha. Like, what? wait, what are we laughing mm. at here is the joke that the character is queer, which is fine. But I'm like, that can't be the joke. Right. Because if if it's the joke that he's a villain, that he's this Joker character, that he's chaotic, then all of that makes sense. But it seems like they tried to characterize that with this like, look what he's doing. He's painted her fingernails and he has scrunchies in his hair. When that shows up in a movie that is as masculine as Fast and the Furious, it doesn't feel as responsible and it doesn't feel as intentional to Roxana's point where I'm just like, it seems like they looked at this and said, wouldn't it be funny if he played the character like this? And that kind of gave me pause. But I mean, there were parts where he said stuff. He walks in and says, my name is Dante Ashante. And I laughed out loud. <laughs> it's like, so funny. That, that was a great line. It was, just, it was yeah. just a great line. Yeah. But other parts where it's just like, I'm like, am I being responsible here? You know, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think like, look, Again, I thought he was very entertaining and I do appreciate that need to sort of like break up the sort of monotony of the last few mm-hmm. villains. But like I just question why does the opposite or the opposition to that have to be so, at least in my eyes, queer? Like why is that the fallback is like right. this has to be directly oppositional? He is, for better or for worse, like one of the more interesting. Because I agree, Cypher, as much as I love Charlize Theron. I mean, Cypher, she's she's kind of a, I don't know, opaque in a way. She is, in fact, a Cypher. A Cypher, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to avoid that. Um, <laughs> I guess my, my one of my last questions for you is, is there an action sequence or a moment that really stood out to you here? Were there any moments that truly surprised you or made you at least feel like, oh, this feels like what we came here for. This is what we love. One of the stunts that I actually liked the best was probably the most simple. And it's one that's in the trailers and it's Michelle Rodriguez <laughs> jumping over a light fixture with the bike yes. in a very cool way where I was like, yes, yeah. that's that's vintage yeah. Fast and Furious. I want to see that all day. Just little silly things like that. What I don't want to see is these large and probable things where it's harder for me to take seriously uh, in those cases. But that was my favorite stunt. I'd say the motorcycle. <laughs> I was going to say that too. I love the way she just kind of threads it over. It's great. Roxana, what about you? I don't know if it's my favorite necessarily, but there is an opening lengthy sequence that just feels like Vin Diesel was watching Mission Impossible movies and was like, I want to do this. (laughs) Again, I have so much affection for this man that I don't know and have never met, but I imagine him at home watching like Tom Cruise films and thinking... Dominic Toretto could do that. So, you know, (laughs) it was outlandish and silly and nothing about it makes like actual realistic sense. But Dom really was paying attention in physics classes, I guess, because my man has become a master (laughs) at gauging distance, time, velocity, force and gravity. This is correct. 
he does a little kind of Rube Goldberg thing where he yes. hits like a big construction crane with his car <laughs> to like change the trajectory of a bomb in exactly the right way. And I was like, wow. I was like, I've never seen a Rube Goldberg machine this big before. <laughs> I did enjoy that moment as silly as it was. That first really big set piece involving this huge rolling bomb that's like the Indiana Jones ball, but it's metal and it's a bomb. Ooh. It's very deliberately a callback to the events of Fast Five. Mm-hmm. And they show this highlight reel of all the other movies beforehand um, when they're like, you know, giving the dossier on this crew, right? First of all, I just want to say, how do they get the footage of this stuff? Has there been a documentary <laughs> film crew trailing these people the whole time? Have they captured the train heist? Like, all these improbable moments where, like, there was a camera there? There was surveillance You're thinking footage? too hard, Wayland. You're but, thinking um, too hard. <laughs> but I did enjoy the highlight reel because that it reminds you, it gets you really amped, right? For, like, oh, yeah, all this cool stuff that's happened. But at the same time, I feel like they're playing a really dangerous game because you are reminded of all of the lovely things that happen, all the exciting things. And Fast Five, which is my absolute favorite, I've been chasing that Fast Fast Five High through all these subsequent films and have not gotten back to that place. And to always be calling back to Fast Five, unfortunately, by the end of it, just reminds me that I still haven't returned to that really like lofty place of Fast Five. We're reminded of like how sloppy everything's gotten, at least I was. And it feels like they're also chasing that high as well to go back to four, five, and six and say, oh man, remember when we did this? Remember when we did this? And sadly, Paul Walker was there and now he's not. And in a lot of ways, you're not going to recapture magic of the films when you don't have the entire crew back there, which is, I know that's kind of a sad thing to say, but I think that might be part of this to say, like, we're going to make a bigger and better and better every time, but you're never going to have that same feeling of all of those because all your friends aren't there and it's always just going to feel like you're just chasing after a memory in those cases. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to bring y'all down. No, <laughs> no, I mean, I was deep in my feels every time they showed Paul Walker's face in this yeah. film. I was yeah. immediately no. like playing that Wiz Khalifa song in my head and getting very sad. Which ugh, they also ugh. play. Yes. Well, uh, that is Fast 10 chasing its high, and we'll probably be back here in a couple years talking about Fast 10.2. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So you should tell us what you think about Fast 10 and the whole Fast and Furious uh, franchise. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pchh. And up next, we'll be talking about what's making us happy this week. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. 
Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. A member FDIC. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, What's Making Us Happy. Waylon, let's start with you. What's Making Me Happy is this podcast called The Soundtrack Show. This is a podcast that goes deep into analyzing film scores. It's written and hosted by this guy named David Collins, who I believe is a sound designer and a voice actor. And it's back with a multi-part series about John Williams' score for E.T. And it's like transcendently good. This show just, I am like exploding head emoji the whole time I'm listening to it because he goes so deep on music theory and orchestration and how the music supports the storytelling and how this music relates to music in other films, whether it's by John Williams or it's just another film in general. And the E.T. series, I would say, is a great point to jump in because it is just one of the all-time great film scores. And I actually saw John Williams conduct his own music with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra a couple months ago, and he played a little bit of E.T., and I just, like, floated into space. I was so happy to hear it. But this is called The Soundtrack Show. I highly recommend it. Thank you, Waylon. Roxana, what is making you happy this week? What is making me happy this week is that FX released their summer premiere schedule. And what I currently care about most, the third season of Reservation Dogs. And I say that because I'm writing about Reservation Dogs right now, and I'm revisiting the second season. And it is just taking me on such a like roller coaster of emotion because these four friends are just really going through it in season two as they continue to deal with like the grief of losing their fifth friend member, as they deal with sort of growing up, getting jobs, trying to figure out if they want to live on the reservation for the rest of their lives or if they want to move away. So there's all that like really nuanced writing and acting that is happening within this ensemble. But there are also these episodes that because they've established this world of Okern, Oklahoma, and because they've established these characters, the show is willing to get like weird and silly. So there's like a standalone episode about the aunties of this community. There's an episode about the police character played by Zahn McLernan. I think it's really worth, you know, if you have a Hulu account, catching up on seasons one and two, because season three is coming in August. And I just think it's one of the best shows on TV. Awesome. That's a great choice, Roxana. So that's Reservation Dogs on Hulu. Ronald Young Jr., what is making you happy? What is making me happy this week are two podcasts. The first is called Delusions of Grandeur. It is a Star Wars novel recap podcast. It is about the Star Wars novels that have been released from the canon as of 2014 when Disney got rid of all of that backstory that a lot of people grew up with. Hosts Emily Gaedic and Kelly Hardcastle-Jones are actually going through some of their favorites and they're recapping each book and just talking about the vastness of 
of the Star Wars universe. Very excited. That is Delusions of Grandeur, a Star Wars novel recap podcast. And the second one is one that's a little closer to my heart. It is called Wait For It, W-E-I-G-H-T. It is a podcast that I have written and produced that is coming out later this summer. And it is about navigating a fat phobic world in a fat body and what that's like. Uh, and it's telling the stories and unpacking the details, looking for love, finding an airplane seat, all of the little indignities that come every day with living life in a larger body. I'm very excited. It comes out on August 5th, but the trailer and feed is up now. So go subscribe. That's Wait For It, spelled W-E-I-G-H-T. Thank you so much, Ronald. I'm very excited for you. Thank you. Well, what's making me happy this week is that my crush, my girl, Janelle Monet, is back. Yes. She's back as a musical artist. And look, she's been doing her thing and acting for the last several years. She was in Glass Onion, of course. And look, she's a multi-hyphenate. She can do pretty much anything she wants. But I've missed her in the music scene. And now she's back with a new album that's coming out in June called The Age of Pleasure. It's her first album in five years since Dirty Computer. And her new video slash song, Lipstick Lover, it's hot. She looks great. She co-directed the video along with Alan Ferguson. It looks like a home movie from the 1960s and 1970s. The fashion is on point. It's definitely not safe for work, but I love it. I love how she's kind of flourished and, you know, become even more open about her sexuality. I also just think the song is really great. It's got big summer vibes. Uh, let's actually hear a little bit of Lipstick Lover. Just want to feel your hips on mine. That is Janelle Monet, Lipstick Lover, and also The Age of Pleasure. That is what is making me very happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. And that brings us to the end of our show. My family, Roxana Haddadi, <laughs> Ronald Young Jr., Waylon Wong. Thanks so much for being here. So much fun. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Raising a corona. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as one should. <laughs> this episode was produced by Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.